Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. Well, it's nearly Christmas. It's time where we, you know, light up the lights, shine them bright, you know, and some of you might be familiar with this story, and if you are, you can just enjoy it. For those who don't, well, let me read it. In the darkest part of the night, a ship's captain cautiously piloted his warship through the fog-shrouded waters. With straining eyes, he scanned the hazy darkness, searching for dangers and that could be lurking just out of sight. His worst fears were realised when he saw a bright light straight ahead. It appeared to be a vessel on collision course with his ship. To avert disaster, he quickly radioed the oncoming vessel. This is Captain Jeremiah Smith. Please alter your course 10 degrees south. Over. To the captain's amazement, the foggy image did not move. Instead, he heard back on the radio, Captain Smith... This is Private Thomas Johnson. Please alter your course 10 degrees north. Over. Appalled at the audacity of the message, the captain shouted back over the radio, Private Johnson, this is Captain Smith and I order you to immediately alter your your course 10 degrees south. Over. The oncoming lights still did not budge. Instead, the private responded, With all due respect, Captain Smith, I order you to change your course immediately 10 degrees north. Over. Angered and frustrated that this disrespectful sailor would endanger the lives of his men and crew, the captain ground back over the radio, Private Johnson, for the last time, I command you on the authority of the United States government to alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a battleship. The private responded, Captain Smith, sir, once again, with all due respect, I command you to alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) Yes, it's good. It's Christmas time. We decorate. How many of you decorate your houses and, you know, with Christmas lights? Yeah, a few of you? Yeah? Well, a few Christmas lights. That one's pretty impressive. It's Russell's house. No, not really. It's, uh... <laughs> Do you know, apparently on average... <laughs> it's not an old house. <laughs> no well. Anyway, all right. Stop being distracted. We need to... Change. All right, okay. But apparently in Australia, the average household will spend this year $384 on Christmas lights and decorations. And that doesn't include the power to be able to run those lights. Compare that with Victorian local councils, who this year are spending $7.5 million on lights and decorations. Yes, and again, it doesn't include in that the cost of running those lights. Now, I remember being a, when I was a young kid growing up in Melbourne and there was one suburb called Ivanhoe and they had this street which was called the Boulevard. Anyone familiar with it? A couple of hands, right? It was this one street where pretty much most of the houses 
would decorate and have lights and everything else. And it was fantastic because we'd go start at one end of the street and walk all the way along looking at each of the houses. And there used to be hundreds of people who would go there night after night to look at all the houses. Anyone here go and look at all the Christmas lights at other houses? Yeah, a few of you? Yeah, I've got my kids doing it now. And it's so funny, you know, off they go and I'm like, so where'd you go tonight? And they'd rattle off different suburbs and I'm like, okay, good. And Caleb walked in the other night, it was hilarious. Sitting there, Jill and I, we're, you know, it's late at night, we're going, yeah, we're sitting there in our PJs on the couch, just, you know, having some time. And next thing, Caleb had gone out. Next thing we hear his car and in walks Caleb with three of his friends. And I'm like, you're meant to be not coming back home. You're meant to be going off and looking at lights. He's like, oh, no, they wanted to come and say hello. <laughs> and so they sat there and they talked with us for the next 20 minutes and then off they went to look at Christmas lights for the night. Great fun. I did chat with Caleb the next day and said, how was it? And he said, oh, they liked your stories. They want to come back and talk more and then hear some of my stories. You know, stories about Caleb. Well, <laughs> hmm. we'll have a bit of fun. But anyway... Each year, there are a number of places who decorate the houses with lights and decorations and things like that. I've got a neighbour who's about five doors down from us. He does that year after year after year. But this year, he's done something different. This year, in the middle of his front lawn, he's actually put up a cross and it's all lit up. He has made this connection between the significance of Jesus' birth with his death on the cross and has made it there visible for everyone to see. But do you know what? It's not all good news about Christmas lights. There's actually been a number of neighbourhood disputes because of people having too bright a display or too much being put on display. In fact, there was one where a person went to his own local council and he complained to the council about his neighbour's you know, decorations and display and the council said, well, yes, he's encroached too far and then ordered the person to remove part of their display. The guy got so angry, he removed the entire display and said, no, it's not worth it. There's a point at which you go, when is enough lights actually enough? But there's something about lights that we can be drawn to. And I'm not talking about the sort of lights from a bug zapper that actually kills the bugs when they get too close. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God was the first to create light. However, different to our Christmas lights that we only pull out of a box for two months of the year and you know, then put them up and then put them back into the box, and they also then need electricity to, to actually function, God's light is an extension of himself. He and God declared light is good. And God creating light was also necessary so that we can actually see the wonders of God that he made for us. But as well as that, with light, it actually promotes growth. But also in the Old Testament, light was symbolic of both life and blessing. We can, be, we can see the light and be drawn to the light and like a mirror or even, you know, think of ball balls on a Christmas tree, we could actually reflect light. And reflection is when light bounces off an object. 
Now think about it, if the surface is smooth and light shines on that surface, surface, that light, the angle that it comes in on, it actually will bounce off at that same angle. But if this surface is something that's rough, the light, when it comes in on it, it won't just bounce off at, a, at that same angle, it will actually bounce off and scatter at multiple different angles. Why is that important? Well, look at it in context or in the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He gives the appearance of light. But instead of this light being clear and going in one direction, it becomes scattered and is actually dim. Let me put it another way. You know, it, it can have the appearance of looking right, but... If there's this check in our spirit that says something's not right here and we choose to ignore it or we feel clouded or overwhelmed or even from confusion and fear or maybe the decision we make is more about what we want rather than what the Bible says, then we're choosing to partner with a masquerade rather than the clear light that Jesus gives. See, Satan tries to deceive people to think that if they look the part you know, and people go, oh, yeah, you look good and you know, everything looks to be right, then that's good enough, we're, we're safe. But it's like, reflecting some light in the same, but it's like reflecting some light in the same direction as a source of light, but knowing that actually parts of our life are actually scattering off and going in different directions. In other words, some parts of our life reflect the life that Jesus has given us by his own death on the cross and that we're living that resurrected life. But then there's other parts that show that we're choosing to go our own direction through some works of the flesh. Paul recognised this in the believers and he wrote to them in Acts 26 verse 18, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, the power of Satan to God, so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ Jesus. To open our eyes, turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, because only in God is there forgiveness of sin and only in God is there a place among those who are sanctified. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He never presents himself as Satan. And he never presents sin as sin. It's always presented as an opportunity, enjoyment, pleasure, or fulfillment. But Satan is not a source of light. He's like, be it the ball ball that hangs off a Christmas tree, something that reflects light, but he isn't the source of light. And if, after all, what's inside a ball ball? Nothing. And that's the same True of Satan, he's got nothing to show. Whereas Jesus said, he is the light of the world. Jesus is a source of light. He's not a ball ball that reflects light, but is a source of light. As Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Jesus said, he is the light of the world, it was in Jerusalem, and it was during a time of the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And uh, it was part of this festival that they would light lamps and, and candelabras. 
And often the wicks were, that they used were taken from old priestly garments. And the significance of this light was so that it was a, a, in remembrance that God had taken their ancestors out of slavery through the wilderness and into the promised land. But God had guided them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And light for a Jewish person represented salvation, knowledge and goodness. But where they would have lit many lamps, the Greek wording in this verse indicates that Jesus is the light, not a light. In other words, Jesus is the solitary source of light. And for Jesus to say that he is the light of the world is a claim of equality with God. But also is a claim that he can lead us through, this, through life and through this world. Like God led the Israelites through the wilderness with that pillar of fire, Jesus is saying that he can lead us through this world. And Jesus said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus' light brings life and growth. And believing in Jesus and following him, it means enjoying his presence and life to the full. As God was present in that bush that was fire before Moses, and so too God was present in that pillar of fire before the Israelites, so too Jesus is saying, he is the light and therefore God is present. The word follows, it means daily experiential walk with Jesus. Jesus is saying that it's not only just about a daily walk with him, but rather it's experiencing his presence daily. And when we walk with Jesus, his light destroys the darkness and its effects in our life. Jesus said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The word darkness describes an ignorance of divine things. It's associated with wickedness and of hell. And it's a choice that we make either to follow Jesus or we choose to actually reject Jesus and walk in darkness. In, one, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, God saw the light was good and he separated light from darkness. It serves as an example to us to be separated from darkness. And we see many examples of this throughout Scripture. Being the light, Jesus, he exposes the deeds of darkness. He said, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. I have to say, I, there are too many people who are living one way when they're around one group of people and then they live another way when they're around another group of people and they may even do something different when they're on their own. But we're only fooling ourselves if we're doing that. Jesus sees everything. Instead, we are to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather to expose them. To expose them means that we shine light upon them. And when things are brought into the light, it means that they are no longer hidden. And when they're no longer hidden, it means that that loses its authority over us so that we're no longer mastered by it because we have brought it into the light. And being in the light, Jesus, is, Jesus gives us authority over darkness. Now, when Jesus sent out his 72 disciples, he told them to go out, preach the good news, to heal the sick. And what did they do? They came back and they were rejoicing... And they said, even the demons submit to us in your name. 
You know, Jesus was criticized by the Pharisees who said to him, it's by the prince of demons that you drive out demons. And Jesus said, kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. We cannot drive out darkness and the deeds of darkness if we still keep partnering with parts of it. However, Jesus' death on the cross, he has defeated Satan, death and sin. And Jesus, he has fitted us with the armor of God that we can resist evil. But also Jesus has promised that we would do even greater things than what he was doing. That we would can walk in the authority that Jesus has given us. It's walking in the authority of walking in his light. And being in the light, Jesus has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Some translations use the word marvellous light. The actual Greek word for those is, it means admirable and excellent. It's only when we look at it in the whole context of that verse of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, do we see what it means to be taken from darkness into light. We read, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. In light, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, and we declare God's praises. I have to say, just, those, just take note of those ones right there. I feel like people, there are some here this morning who are wrestling with your identity and are getting bombarded by things that are not truth. And it's actually this week needing to speak some of those truths over your life of your identity, of who you really are in Christ. A chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. How many times do we ever say, do you know what? I'm God's special possession. Woohoo! Yeah, exactly. Should feel pretty good on that one. And we declare God's praises so that when we walk in God's light, he sees us as excellent and admirable. Wow, that's pretty special. Not only is Jesus the light of the world, but his light also transforms our life. Jesus promised those who follow him would have the light of life. It's a bit like in Genesis and Revelation. We've got about the tree of, of life. Yeah? What was special about the tree of life? If you ate the fruit, you would live forever. Jesus promises light that is life-giving. In other words, it goes on and on and on. He also says that we are the light of the world in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. We are the light that others would see Jesus in us. We are the light that others would see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. God's light, it shines in our hearts to give us the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We are the light of the world because we are united with Christ and his light shines through us. We are the light of the world because we are forgiven and Jesus' blood cleanses us of all sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Our relationship with, with Jesus grows as more and more as we are connected with him. But if we you know, drift away, the relationship won't be as strong. You know, it's a bit like if you have a torch 
And you put brand new batteries in and you go, wow, you know, I can see everywhere. But if you leave that light on, on that torch, what happens? It gets dimmer, okay? It starts, the batteries start to die. The same is true of our relationship with Jesus. If we are not close to him, the light will start to dim and start to fade. Go back to what I was saying earlier about the reflected light. When we are connected to Jesus, the light from our life is the same as what is reflected from Jesus' life. The light, it will be in the same direction as the light from Jesus. However, if we have, be it some of Jesus, some of the world, then the light that's going to be reflecting off us will be scattered and not have the same brightness. Put this in the context of our Christmas theme of Jesus Christ, our certain hope. We know that Jesus is the light of the world and he's taken us from darkness to light. That we now are the light of the world. Sometimes we can be weighed down by negativity, weighed down by guilt, weighed down by shame. But Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Sometimes we can be clouded in fear, anxiety, darkness. And Jesus says, but you are the light of the world. Sometimes we can go back on our own ways and even doubt, oh, has God really completed that work? You know, has he really forgiven me? You are the light of the world. That's God's declaration over you. You are the light of the world. See, the devil is the one who comes to steal, kill and destroy. And he may make us feel like there's all these blots over our life and stains on us. But if Jesus is the light of the world and he removes sin from us, then we are the light of the world. We may see ourselves with stains, but Jesus sees us clean. If we, are see, if we see ourselves as Jesus sees us, then it doesn't matter what the world says. Jesus says we are the light and people will be drawn to Jesus through our light. We are light in a dark world. Let your light shine that others would see Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the work of Christ, that he willingly came as an infant, was born and lived, but he lived without sin, so that he could die on the cross for our sin once and for all. And as Jesus declared that he is the light of the world, His work in us transforms our life, that we reflect his life, his light and life. And that, as he said, we too are the light of the world. That others would see and know Jesus through our lives. Father, I pray you would just fill us afresh this morning with your truth. It shapes our identity of knowing who we really are in you. Cleansed, healed, forgiven and made whole. And walking in that truth that we'll be able to speak those words of life to others. 
and that others would be drawn to the light of Christ in us and say, I want what you've got. That we would stand apart from this world and we would shine brightly. Our Father, as we mentioned, you know, many people go looking at Christmas lights and just drawn to the spectacular in them. But it's you, Jesus, who is truly spectacular and your work in each one of us. Continue to carry on that work to completion. Continue to build in each one of us and continue to shine brightly. But help us, as James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That we would draw near to you and the light that shines from our life would be you, Jesus. All about you, Jesus. And we give you praise and thanks, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.